All right, everybody, this is Thad Forrester, and we are back for another week of Patriot to the Core, and I am fortunate to be sitting right next to our friend George, who is an Air Force TACP, or you were a TACP, what's the proper term? Still. Still, okay, still, yeah. still a TACP. And uh, you you could have heard him, or you can hear him, back on episode 31. It aired back in June, June 26th. And a lot of that episode was more about his time in the military, Leading up to uh, an injury, he got uh, he got injured a little bit the day my brother Mark was killed on September 29th, 2010, and then we just briefly touched on your your injury after after yeah. that. And I wanted to have George back to discuss more about his recovery physically and mentally, emotionally, because he spent a lot of time um, at Walter Reed and then a lot of rehab, and you were banged up pretty dang good. Almost so, two years. Yeah. yeah so. So, anyway, there's a lot of good stuff that I think we can hear from George. And so, if you, um, I just wanted to send you to the show notes at patriottothecore.com. And if you like this episode, please go to iTunes and rate the podcast. Just go over there. Just go ahead and go to the far right and select five stars and just call <laughs> it good. And then you can write a review also. And you can send George. Actually, I don't know if you can. Uh, you don't have you don't have social media that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Just through you. You yeah. can give me any any messages. Yeah, you want to send me messages? Send them to George. Send them through <laughs> me, and I'll get it to George. Um, so anyway, welcome back. Thank you, buddy. It's we good are. To see you. Thank you. Good to see you. We've uh, you're we're in Haleyville right now. You're you're here in uh, Alabama doing some training, and so got to go out to the cemetery today. And... Yeah. So it's been seven years um, since Mark, and. Uh, kind of taking uh, my time getting up here since I was stuck in uh, that Hurricane 8 traffic yeah, for a right. while. <laughs> uh, but these past couple weeks, doing some reflection and where I am now today versus where I probably could have been. And um, you and I, on the last podcast, and just when we talk in general, we talk a lot about my time at Walter Reed and, uh, and getting back to active duty status <clears throat> and... Uh, so we'll, we'll pick up from episode 31. 31. Um, so short, the so I was injured the day Mark was killed. Um, I, I was a little bit too close to an 82 millimeter and took some blast and shrapnel and had a traumatic brain injury. Um, was medevaced the day about 24, 48 hours after the fact and uh, was sent back to the, the same area where me and Mark were operating. And on that day, unfortunately, I don't have much recollection of it, but I was in a very bad vehicle accident, a vehicle rollover, essentially. And um, I kind of, memory is kind of lost, kind of vague. I don't really remember much uh, until I got to maybe Kandahar, Bagram, getting ready to make my way back home stateside to uh, Walter Reed. But in essence, I had broken a number of bones in my back, uh, my shoulder, completely shattered my my left hip which needed reconstructive surgery and then the uh, traumatic brain injury on top of a a blast injury a few days prior Uh, a unique thing about that though from happening was uh my father was uh was actually in afghanistan he's a retired policeman and he was contracting and uh the commander at the time was able to work it out to where uh, my father actually escorted me all the way to Walter Reed from Afghanistan. He was on the plane with me, which was, I don't remember much. Uh, my memory is very fuzzy those first couple of weeks, but um, uh, I've seen some photos of it, and those those C-17s that bring our wounded home are pretty incredible. It's It's essentially just a flying hospital, and 2010 was a pretty rough time for the Marines as well. Out in the Hellmand, and I was on a plane... Uh, probably about 20 other folks on it, you know. That were all injured? All injured. Um, Some people just barely hanging on, trying to get to Germany. To guys like me, they were just a bag of broken bones. Uh, So we made our way back uh, to Walter Reed, and then that's really where where you and I talked quite a bit. And uh, the the long journey for me kind of began to recovery. Um, I didn't know much about what my future would look like. You know, you're, I was 10 years in the military at that time. I had planned on doing a career. Um, now I don't even know. I don't know if I'll be in the military anymore. I don't know if I'll be medically discharged. 
Um, my future now it seems very, very confusing. I just lost a very good friend, two very good friends, and Mark and Calvin just a couple weeks prior. And it's one thing to lose a friend. It's another to, to be in an engagement where your friend is lost. Um, so I was in pretty rough shape all around, uh, spiritually, physically, and mentally. And I bring those points up because uh, I get a chance sometimes to talk to teammates about my view on resiliency and um, essentially being able to bounce back from adversity. And uh, this was this was definitely the biggest thing, the most difficult phase of my life that I've ever had to deal with. Um, prior to that deployment, I remember having a briefing from a chaplain. In uh, sometimes you blow them off a little bit, and I hate to say that, but it's one thing to be told about resiliency. It's another when you have to mm-hmm. you have to be resilient, you know. And also, they may they've never been maybe they haven't even been in combat before, right. know, so you just you can't take them, or you just inherently you don't take them as seriously as. And that's true. And mm-hmm. so the the lessons he he had taught us or was trying to get the point across before that deployment didn't sink in until I was living it. He was talking about your 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 spirituality. Not just, it could be religious. It could be uh, your faith, and it could just be your. And for me, I'm just a very outgoing, very optimistic human being. I always see the best in people. Um, that's kind of my spiritual side, if you will. Um, mental is just your ability to think clearly and make right decisions, regardless of emotion. And then your physical attributes are just being healthy and being able to move um and just you know when you're in so what he was saying was when there's an imbalance in one of those uh it can have an effect on the other one so if you have an injury a physical injury it could impact your your mental state in some aspects because you're struggling with something it could impact your spiritual state because maybe you're now questioning things about yourself or your belief structure well I now found myself in a situation where all three were completely shattered and almost instantaneously. And you and I had talked before, and the one thing that was interesting about it was on the I understood my my injuries, and what I didn't understand was the uh, I understand what I needed to do physically to get better. I didn't understand the things I needed to do to fully heal spiritually and mentally. But at the time. At the time of the injury, early on, did you know that you were injured spiritually and you know mentally? No, no, and not early on. It was just it's it's too easy to when you're that banged up to focus on the physical. So I was told I was gonna I was gonna basically get some surgery, get a fake hip, get some back surgery, and get all these bones wired together. And I finally got a couple of second opinions, and I wanted to be as not invasive as possible. Um, Finally, I had a, a, an orthopedic surgeon who said he could keep all my original parts and just kind of bolt them back together, even though he couldn't guarantee a full recovery. Um, and I told him that that's, he said that's my best chance to, all I wanted to do was get back to the squadron, get back to the fight. So that's my best chance to try and do it. But he said it'd be a long road. For my back and a bunch of other bones, they weren't, they didn't necessarily need um, surgery, but it would require me to lay in bed for nearly 60 days to let them heal, hmm. which is much easier said than done. Um, but that's the course of action I wanted to go with because I wanted to be, I felt like that would be my best chance to be healthy. So I went through about a 17-hour surgery to get my left hip socket completely uh, put back together, and then the healing process pretty much was me sitting in a hospital bed at Walter Reed for nearly <laughs> nearly two months. Um, each week I could move a little bit more, you know, but it, I had to stay as pretty much as still as possible to give a lot of my other bones the best chance to heal and heal properly. And that's where that's where I started to lose the mental fight. And that's where I started to lose the the spiritual fight, stuck in that hospital bed. And the messed up thing is I didn't even know that was happening. So every night when I go to bed and I sleep, I relive September 29th over and over and over again. I didn't talk to anyone about it. And by the way, for the listeners, September 29th was not the day when you were injured. The no. reason you were in the hospital is yeah. the day that 
your teammate and friend Mark and teammates Mark and Cal were killed. Yes. Um, yes. I, I would. So when I would fall asleep, I would just relive those events over and over again. Mark essentially, as the senior airman, was my responsibility uh, for that mission, and the guilt, all these things start to compile up, and it turns into this this monster, this black hole that you can't. It's hard to 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 describe it, but it takes over, and you don't even know it takes over. Um, and now you're just kind of a shell of what you used to be. So my mental state was not healthy, but I didn't understand that it wasn't healthy because I was focused on broken bones. It wasn't, I, I just, okay, they're bad dreams, but I'm not addressing the, the root causes of these things. Were you taking any of that out on your sister who was staying with you or the nurses? Not initially, um, but as I started to get off a lot of the, the higher dose pain meds, and when I was moved out of the ward and into like an on-campus living facility for further rehab, there were a lot of outbursts, uh, anger issues uh, that I couldn't control, and I didn't even understand why I was doing it to my sister. And and, and that's a good point. So my sister, uh, she was with me from day one. She she was waiting for me at the hospital and stayed by my side every day for seven months up until up until I left. And I wouldn't be where I'm at today without her. Um, she is my angel. I actually called her on my way here because it's, it's the anniversary of Mark. It's the anniversary of me getting wounded and coming home. And, and I've come a long way these past few years. And she's a huge, she's probably one of the most important factors in me being able to heal. Oh, what date were you injured? October 5th. And I started making my way home on the 10th. Okay. Yeah. yeah so, man, we just missed it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so that's the interesting thing, you know, and PTSD's come a long way and a lot of these other these other issues and helping people move on from some of these traumatic events you've had in the field or, or any traumatic event really, but I didn't understand it. I was just kind of suppressing it. It was a pride issue. I didn't want to showcase weakness. I already felt weak. Um, my body was completely broken. I was laying in a bed with tubes in my penis and defecating on myself for two months. <laughs> And that doesn't that does something also for your mental state when you're a special operator operating at a, a pretty high capacity and one of your goals was to try and train for a CrossFit competition when you got home and now you're you're stuck in bed and you can't even do the basics for yourself without any help. And I guess you're laying there watching other people clean you up. Yep, all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's necessary, but at the same time, when you're a proud person. It's it's devastating, and uh, so that kind of broke into my spiritual side of the house, my spiritual pillar, and I just did not believe in myself. I started to not believe in myself anymore. My self worth started to go down, uh, and it's and like I said, it's the craziest thing because these things it just it happened. It was so traumatic, and everything happened so fast that I didn't even have time to prepare or try and react for it. It just all these things took over the only thing i could focus on was something that was tangible which was an in, the injuries because i could feel it i could i knew exactly what it was i could put my finger on it and point to things the things going on in my head and, and, and in my heart were just it was a constant storm that i did not know how to handle or deal with so i chose not to um as i started to get healthier physical my physical condition started to improve um uh, it didn't really help much either because I wasn't addressing it. I was just still living with these things, and I was just using that anger to to somehow drive me to to keep doing physical therapy and to keep hitting these milestones because I I, I don't know maybe I felt like I needed to just get back overseas or do something. It wasn't it wasn't a positive energy driving me forward for the first few months. It was kind of a negative one, and my progress was pretty slow. And that was continuing to frustrate me as well. I was tired of being in a wheelchair. I was, I was tired of not being able to to wash myself when I was able to get out of a, of a hospital bed. And and uh, were you doing therapy at this time? Oh yeah. yeah, all day. I was doing therapy like an hour or two in the morning, an hour or two in the afternoons. Um, and it was one day at the Walter at Walter Reed. I was hanging out, and there's a little bar area where you can get get a snack or a beer or something like that. And there's always guys down there in their wheelchairs and it's a good, it's kind of like a VFW kind of feel. It's, it's, it's actually a lot of fun sometimes, but, but everyone's got, everyone's battling something. 
and there was this priest. Uh, I wish I could remember his name, but everything's so cloudy from then. But and I only had one interaction with him. He was like an Irish priest, and I remember him sitting down next to me and ordering some whiskey, which I thought was strange <laughs> because he had his collar on and everything, and he just started talking to me, like, but not like not like how I'm used to a priest talking to me. It was just very. Like that VFW hall, he was very direct, very, hey, what's going on, you know. Somehow he got me to open up about Mark. And uh, and we talked in episode 31 how I was raised and and how Mark and I have probably some very similar characteristics on how we view service and and things of that nature. But he just looked at me, and I'll get a little colorful here for a second, but he goes, man, it sounds like Mark was a really good guy. I was like, he was probably one of the best people I'll ever know. And he goes, what do you think Mark would say if he knew you were being kind of an asshole right now? <laughs> and I go, I don't think he'd say that word, but he'd probably definitely have a stern talking to me. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I think so too. So what do you think you should do tomorrow? And uh, kind of from there, I started to realize that aside from my physical health, the memory I had of Mark, was something that I wasn't using properly. Meaning, I had this great man, this great teammate that I had the honor of serving with and witnessing him do some of the most heroic things. And and now just the thought of him was driving me into a depressive state where I maybe wouldn't go do physical therapy or maybe I wouldn't try as hard. I was just showing up. And that's, that's completely opposite of what Mark was and who he was. Um, you don't get to be one of the best by not trying or giving up and for the first time in my life I found myself quitting at something and that was killing me and when he kind of he knew something was wrong he'd seen guys like me coming and going a dime a dozen and for some reason he was able to ask a couple of the right questions and just let me get something out and then he was able to help me see the reality in that and it didn't necessarily fix everything but from then on at least while I was on Walter Reed I started to realize, like, I need to address more than just these broken bones. And so at he, least you didn't get offended by anything he said, right? No, it was a it was a hard truth. It was it was reality, and I and I respond well to that. And um, so I knew I, it was more than just broken bones. I knew that I had there was something else that I I was not trained or equipped or just understood how to get better at. I understood the physical piece. I understood what the docs were telling me to get better, but there were things holding me back from fully committing, and it was in, it was all in my head. Um, when he told me that, I started to realize that I need to I need to I'm, I think about Mark every day, but now I need to use it as a driving factor. Mark, if Mark was in my shoes, what would he do? And that's what, or my sister would start to. I'd ask her to start telling me that because I didn't want to lose sight of that. And so the last half of my time in Walter Reed, that was like my rallying cry, if you will. Like, what would Mark do today? All right, I need to do that. If I just couldn't get muster up the energy or the, the motivation to do it. And it got me through up to about seven months when I was healthy enough to move around on my own and, and finally be released. I still wasn't healthy enough to be you know, put back on the team. I couldn't run or anything just yet, but I was I was starting to get to that point where people were saying, hey, we don't have to medically retire you. You've got a good chance at recovering. And they set some milestones over the next year for me. When I got back to North Carolina, I, um, I knew things weren't going well. I've had, even though that was my rallying cry in Walter Reed to try and get better, I was still dealing with nightmares. I was still dealing with guilt, Um I, and, and it was confusing. I was still dealing with the fact that maybe I wasn't good enough, or maybe I, maybe I just made the wrong decision. You know, the wrong decision for what? Uh, when me and Mark were in the field, why are you there and why am I here? You know, um, the things that I just couldn't control that I thought I should have controlled. It was, I didn't realize it was literally driving me crazy. Um, until my last couple of weeks at Walter Reed, I think I must have. I just lashed out. Something just set me off, and I lashed out at my my sister, who had literally stopped her entire life to take care of me for seven months. And when I finally, when whatever anger and rage, when I finally calmed down and I could see the world around me, all I remember is just seeing my sister crying and telling me some long lines of like, 
who who the hell are you? Like, what is wrong? And I realized I am not the person I used to be, and it scared me. Um, she's one of the most important people in the world to me, and I and I just did that to her. So when I got home, I had told my commander at the time, like, we had talked about my plan to work with the medical professionals to help me get on track, but I had told them that I I needed to take a knee and I needed to to get help. And this was a very hard thing for someone in my position to do. There's a lot of stigmas associated with it. That's why I'm glad I'm at a point in my life and my career now where I'm, I can be open with this. So if someone hears this podcast or maybe I talk to a teammate about my journey and, and my recovery, that I can take some of that away because, yeah, I, I, I did take a knee for a little bit. And I did talk to someone and get help. But how did you get to that point? Was it hard? Did you have to talk yourself into it? Did you visualize, okay, what am I going to say to my commander? Is this the right thing to do? It was hard, but it was about a week prior to me coming home that I had that meltdown on my sister. Um, and then when I got home, I got to see some teammates um, before seeing the commander who uh, hadn't seen me in a while. And they were pretty honest. They were like, hey, man, like, you're not the same George that you were eight months ago. You know, aside from being injured and still limping around, but like my personality was so different. I was kind of hyper aggressive, like all the time. And I didn't need to be. And uh, so when I, I told the colonel that, uh, hey, I need I need to take knee and I need to talk to somebody. I don't know how this works, but I can't I can't. Uh, I can't have another moment like that with my family. I can't have people that are very close to me, teammates that I've known for years, giving me this kind of feedback and not do something about it. And I don't know what that's going to mean for my career, but uh, at the time I was more concerned about making sure I could have a, a good, healthy life mm-hmm. moving forward. Um, that's pretty big, I think, to do that. Well, to take and just to take, listen to other people. The thing is. Um, the type of work that me and Mark do, like people count on you to have your have your head on straight, you know. And I didn't want to maybe be physically healthy enough to do so, to get back out and do the mission, and not and not mentally healthy enough to do it and do something that would potentially get someone hurt or killed. Um, that that would have been I just couldn't have lived with myself if, if I had done that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they set it up. I got some help, and it took a while because um, you got to go through. Like I told. I tell some guys now that I, I talk with, uh, like it doesn't. It's not like you show up and you talk to somebody and you, everything's fixed. You got to build. You know, going through this phase where you build trust with someone on both sides. Like they're trusting you to be open and honest. I'm trusting them to be a professional. I, you know, I don't. I don't know this person. They're not another teammate. You're. You're a shrink. Do you have my best interest at in mind? So it takes a while. Are they Air Force? Was this person in there? This Force? person was okay. and. Uh, she was incredible. Um, she uh, she got me to open up. It took some time, weeks, you know, from the initial sit down to when I could start opening up. But I was concerned. Maybe I had PTSD. I wasn't sure what these things were. Um, but it was survivor's guilt. It was a what I was struggling with was a severe case of survivor's guilt. And the Air Force had taught me to do a lot of things. Um, but nothing really set me up to deal with that. How do how do I handle that? Um, but how did she get you to realize that it was survivor's guilt? So we started talking about dreams because at the time I was drinking quite a bit, um, not because I would necessarily enjoyed drinking a lot, but because I didn't want to dream. You know, when I talked to other guys that have uh, had similar issues or lived through similar situations. That's one of the biggest reasons for substance abuse is you're you're almost terrified of falling as, falling asleep and dreaming because you, you don't have any control of what you're going to dream mm-hmm. and so she asked me about that and that's kind of how it it kind of first started I started telling about the dreams I have and why I don't like them and why I'm trying to avoid them and she helped me understand why I was doing that um, and it was because I felt so much guilt. Um, that I was alive, that Mark was not alive, um, that I'm here right now at your parents' house while we're doing this interview, eating your mom's stew, and Mark is not. I, I, I feel guilty now. I just have a better way to understand it and, and deal with it. Um, 
so she helped me really understand what that was. And it was still a process and there was there were exercises and this probably went on for for maybe at least a good six or seven months. By the time I just but each once I started to open up and and when she really helped me understand my thoughts and why I was thinking things the way I was thinking them and and helped give me some tools to when I do have these you know these thoughts or and every once in a while I have these dreams almost every year on September 29th I hmm. I have this dream um but now I wake up and I know exactly why I'm dreaming it I know what it is and um she helped me work through that to the point where I felt human again for probably the first time in almost, but at this point going on two years. Um, Didn't, weren't there some questions, specific questions she asked you about to help you realize, okay, there's nothing I could have done. Yes. Um, so she asked, she asked about the situation. Now, once we kind of worked through the dreams, it kind of helped her understand because you have dreams for your, your, your body's reacting in a certain way for a reason. So she, her best guess was, or best assessment was, it was the survivor's guilt, and she needed more kind of information. So then, once we started getting past the topic of dreams, we started talking about that particular battle. And, uh, you know, she asked why Mark was where he was and why I was where I was in, in relation to where we were at on the ground. So I told her. And she asked why those decisions were made, and I, it was because of the risk, and I didn't want the guy I was responsible for to be in the position of most risk, which was evident because where I was at got pretty lit up bad, badly by the enemy. But And she started asking questions like, um, so you guys made those decisions? I go, yep. She goes, you guys owned those decisions? Yes. She said, you controlled those decisions? Yes, we controlled them. And uh, next set of questions, she asked, well, who are you shooting at? And it's interesting because she's never been in combat, but she's asking these questions, so I have to explain them to her. Well, and and it's funny because if I'm talking to a teammate, these are all well, we all already know these things, but so I'm explaining it to her. It's a little confusing to me, but I'm I'm explaining it, and I said, well, we're shooting at the Taliban and Al Qaeda dudes and these insurgents. Are they shooting at you? Yes. Who told them to shoot at you? Well, it wasn't me. It was them. Well, who picked the targets for them to shoot at? Well, it wasn't me. It was them. And I started just, and it's as crazy as this sounds, but it was just someone really making me slow motion break down that whole situation to realize that, like, the enemy does truly does get a vote. Um, I can't control that. You don't control every bullet. Mark was in the place he needed to be. Mark. Mark saved lives that day doing what he's trained to do where he was at. So did I, and so did everyone else on the team. But I can't control that one bad guy that saw Mark and Calvin and decided to engage Mark and Calvin. And mm-hmm. and when, th- when I started to really think of it like that, because I, for whatever reason, and like I said, it's, it's hard to, when you start talking to matters of the mind, I think unless you're really trained on how the human brain works... Uh, it started to now click to me that for the information I had that we had as a team going forward, we made the best decisions possible to complete the mission. Um, but yes, there are things that are out of our control and bad things happen and good people get hurt and good people die. And, uh, and that's when I started to like, let go of that control factor that it should have been me that it was always my fault because we did the best we could with what we had. And, and that's when the healing really started. Um, and this was after I had met you guys for the first time Mm -hmm. and that helped significantly. I didn't want to burden you guys with what I was going through at the time because it was so fresh still with, uh, and I had just started this process. Um, um, by the time I came down here to visit you guys, but I would talk about that and the fact that you guys did not hate me when I showed up, which was my biggest fear. Um, you embraced me with open arms, and you've always treated me like fran- like family. Um, moving forward, that all has helped, helped me just understand, and it has helped my guilt subside. 
to a point where I could just live my life again. So I met my goal, like I, to understand what was going on, to live healthy. And, um, and yeah, sometimes I have bad days and I always will. Uh, everyone that does the things we do does when we lose friends. But, but over the course of this whole process, um, Mark is my biggest driving motivational factor in life. He, he inspires me to make sure I'm doing things right. Like, uh, one day I'm going to meet him again. I don't know when. And I want him to just tell me that I did it right. You know, I want to be a good ethical man for the rest of my life. And I want, because I, I, I know he's watching me. And, and now when I think about Mark, instead of going into almost a, thinking of that, that one battle and thinking about, and then going into a state of guilt and depression, I think about Mark and I just get, I feel this drive that I'm going to go do something big today. Um, I owe it to to my family, to my country, to my teammates to go do something big today, to make the best out of today. And and I take that with me almost every day. Even even this course <laughs> that you're t- taking right now. Yeah. So right now I'm in an Air Force um, senior NCO uh, academy. It's it's professional military education for senior enlisted leaders, and it's not exactly a fun course. Um, I wasn't thrilled about going to the course, but you know, like I was telling you, I, like I know if Mark had to go to this course, like even if he wasn't fun, he was a big enough professional to to know that uh, you know what I'm gonna at least I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna try and get something out of it. And I'm gonna try and give something to it, and and that that's been kind of my goal for the next few weeks. So Mark has helped me get through <laughs> kind of a kind of a painful five weeks. And that brings me to my next point. A lot of guys who are out there maybe listening to this podcast or may know someone in this podcast, you I don't think you can serve in these in the long war, as you know, that's referred to as long as we have and, and lose friends and not, not have something or have that hidden battle. I think uh the Department of Veterans Affairs says we lose nearly twenty one vets a day. Um I know in the special, and that's to suicide. And that's to suicide. I'm sorry. And I know in the special ops world, it's kind of hard sometimes. Uh, special operations world to, to ask for help because you think that's it. If I start to talk to somebody and get some help, I'm gonna lose my job, and that's not necessarily the case. I've, I've uh, since I've gotten back and bounced back, um, I've just I've gotten right back to work, and and I'm still in the military. And I, and I feel like I'm stronger now for it. And uh, and now as a leader, I think I can start to see these struggles in people because I've lived it and I've and I've gotten help and I've gotten through it. And I can help people understand the resources out there and the why behind it's important to maybe take a break and, and get a little bit of some counseling or something to just help you understand why you're thinking the way you're thinking or why you're dreaming the way you're dreaming. Um. And then there's going to be times where maybe maybe you might have to get out of the military based off of it. But and that's why I think it shouldn't be about a mil- staying in the in the armed forces. It should be if if you think you're if you think you're struggling with this, your goal should be, man, I don't want to. Don't put your family through hell. Don't put your friends through hell. And don't be a casualty from the war here at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the big message should be, and that's when I went and decided to talk to my colonel was, uh, I whether that I could stay in the military or not. Like I couldn't put my family through this. I had to figure this out, and I didn't want to put myself through it anymore. And I think if you if you turn it more into like a quality of life thing, it makes so much more sense. Um, I was fortunate. Um, I was able to get through these things, get a clean bill of health, and and I think and I feel and I believe. Uh, come back to the force even stronger, mm-hmm. and and now that I'm I'm finding myself to start uh, you know being in charge of people and supervise people, uh, like I can now now that's an asset that I can give to people. You know I can help people understand what resiliency really is, like how to bounce back from whether it's some, or something I had to do or, or that road I went down, or it could just be something in your personal life. You know that is just. You, you can't handle it and just help people understand that to lean on your teammates, lean on your family and, and lean on people willing to help you. And uh, you'll be surprised at how much stronger you are on the outset. 
So, what would you say about because you started drinking a lot? What what advice do you give people to? I mean, what were the effects of you know in that time when you're drinking a lot to, to keep the from having from having dreams? And then how would you, I guess, counsel people to handle it differently? Well, what I could tell you this is if you find yourself doing something like that, and and, it, and like I said, it's the strangest thing, man. When when you, you get that kind of trauma happen that fast, you're, sometimes your ability to, to rationalize what you're doing, now that I think about it, now that I look back, I'm like, why on earth did I do that? But at the time, it just it made sense. I'm going to drink, you know, a few, uh, a few shots of, of this, a few shots of that, because I know I'll just pass out and I won't dream. I just won't sleep very well. Um, for whatever reason, that made sense, and I felt like that was the way to handle it and it wasn't um so i would say if you're listening to this podcast and you are that person that now it's time to take that healthy look in the mirror and say hey i i I need to go i need to go figure this out because you can get to a point in your life where you can where these things will no longer you can get to where these things can no longer be demons and they can be inspirational events Mm -hmm. um i now think of september 29th and sometimes i get sad and and when I do get said, I, I just remember the courage that was displayed that day that I was fortunate enough to witness. Um, and, and then that, that, that's what makes me not sad about September 29th, but proud to have been a part of that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I am proud to have served with your brother, um, and I miss him terribly. And the world's a worse place without him. But no longer do I think of that in and think I need to just drink to forget it because what a horrible sin it would be for me to forget what I saw that day. I saw a true hero do what heroes are supposed to do. And, uh, and I'm forever grateful for all the people. And I would not be here seven years later finishing out my military career and remarried and, and have a, a very normalized family life if I did not lean on my friends, my family, and and got expert advice mm-hmm. and got expert help. I would not be here. Yeah, I don't know how you could have a healthy marriage if you hadn't have fixed your your issues that you had several yeah. years ago. No, you know I wouldn't. And uh, so yeah, going forward, talking about recovery and and we've got a lot of wounded warriors and we've got a lot of vets who may not even be wounded uh, physically, but they come home and people fight this hidden battle and it's a real deal and it's a real epidemic and. Uh, if you uh, if you've got a buddy, a family member, and you, if they just seem a little off, man, you can just start by asking them some questions and how are you feeling? And uh, if you need resources, they are out there. You know, um, Wounded Warriors got great links to to different various things and uh, Special Operations Care Coalition. You can reach out to those guys to get information on uh, probably assets in your local area. Plus, if you're still on active duty. Um, Regardless of your branch of service, there are a lot of resources readily available to you, and, and they work. It's just the hardest part is to admit that you need to use them and and to take a knee. And the thing is, it's very discreet. A lot of people didn't. A lot of folks, some of my closest friends, didn't even know that was something I was doing until a couple years ago when I was. Uh, I realized it's okay to show a little bit of vulnerability to help a friend in need and then help them understand why they might need to do something. Mm-hmm. So for the last two years, I've been very open about uh, kind of my journey, uh, not not so much with the physical aspect of recovering and getting my body healthy, but getting my mind and my soul back uh, to who I to who I once was again. And, and I am so glad that I did not lose that. So you've had the chance to talk to a lot of guys, especially the last few years, and maybe motivate them or encourage them. I mean, what what do you say to guys who have been through, and not necessarily the same situation, but you know, just trying times? So that's a good question. So uh, I, I will never tell someone you have to go see the someone or you need to go do this because I'm I'm not very qualified. I'm not qualified to do that, but. I think where I can have the biggest impact and, and for, you know, fellow service members out there who, who, have, who have maybe gone down, who have, who have sought help and, and recovered and bounced back in a similar way that what I'm describing today would be to take some of that stigma away from it because there is a very big stigma associated with asking for, for help um, 
dealing with these issues. It, you know, people think you so automatically associate that you have some sort of mental disorder, but that's not the case. And and that was hard for me to do at first, but it, it I, I just couldn't. I I got to a point where I couldn't interact with my family anymore in a normal way, and that was, and I couldn't, and that hurt so much I couldn't do it anymore. They they were essentially all I had left, and I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't lose that, you know. Um, so that that's why I went and I got that help. But um, so when I when I get a chance to talk to people, and I've had some of uh, some people within the wounded war, you know, the the wounded warrior type uh, community reach out to me and ask me to talk to some folks. Um, one-on-one it isn't to tell them what they need to do it's to just tell them what what I did um, to show that vulnerability and that it's okay to be a little vulnerable and to get some help and then and then to show them too that like when it was all said and done when when I got through all this stuff you don't put a timeline on these things but just systematically work through it and and stay committed to it but you know I was able to still stay in the military, which was a goal, which was a goal of mine. Um, but even if not, I, you know, I value just living a a healthy, normal life above that. And, and I think when people hear from somebody who's lived through an experience like that, you know, be very open with you about it and, and ask those hard, answer your hard questions. Well, what if this, why did you do that? It, it, it makes it like, um, it makes it easier. You're not going to get put up in a straight jacket and thrown in a padded room it's it, people these people legit, legitimately want to help you as passionate as you are about being on the battlefield taking the fight to the enemy these people are just as passionate to help you deal with the 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 burden that comes with that mm-hmm. and, and there is a burden that comes with it and uh that's the biggest lesson that i learned from that experience and i'm i am so grateful for those folks and uh and I will continue to advocate for that type of help. And if I can just take some of that stigma away and make it easier to ask for it, because I think in the veteran community, the hardest part is just to really take that hard look and ask for it. And sometimes it might take a very close friend or a relative or someone that's important to you to just say, hey, you're not right. You know, that very, very direct, constructive feedback, like, I think a lot of people can respond to that. It's almost like an intervention if you think about it and and you know seeing seeing how I was talking to people and, and and pushing people out and pushing people aside like that's not who I am, you know. It something took over. I didn't know what and and now I do. And uh I'm living a very healthy, fulfilled life now. And like I said the biggest thing is Things that guys view, you know, call them our demons. Sometimes I've heard them referred to as demons. Like that's the worst thing to think is, you know, your buddies that you were with when you lost them are now your demons. They should be your saints. They should be your angels. And it isn't always the easiest thing to to work through those guilt, that guilt, or or whatever it is that is now associating that person with a with bad habits to then turn them into a driving force. And it's possible you can do it, um, but you, you just got to take those first steps. You know, what advice do you give to, you know, gold star families? I know you haven't been in their situation, yeah. but just, just being on the side that you're on, like, cause you've given some, you've talked to us and talked to my mom. I mean, what do you think is most important to share? Well, I think, um, for our gold star families, I think one of the things that we help with, um, I didn't know Mark from Alabama. I knew Mark the warrior, right? You knew Mark, but you didn't know Mark the Warrior like I did. Does that make sense? Yep. So I think in a way, like, when you talk to folks that serve with your fallen hero, they can kind of take a lot of that mystery away, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, um, we can, I think, I think a way I help, I think me and, and some of the other guys that have come through here that have served with Mark, that were that were with him out at that location can really like fill those gaps on who he was as a warrior because you don't always act you don't act like you do in Afghanistan when you're at home hanging out with family going to church going to barbecue you know what I mean like mm-hmm. um, so you can kind of take a lot of that what if away um, it, I think it's much harder for a family member to to go down through that loss than dealing with um, losing a brother just because 
I knew Mark for a handful of months. You guys knew him since he was a baby. He's your blood. He's he's your son. He's your he's your brother. Um, I think the best thing we can do is just maybe. I like to hope when I do get a chance to come see you guys or you see some of Mark's other teammates when they pass through that it's a piece of Mark's warrior spirit that you guys that gets to kind of be rekindled and you guys get to enjoy for a little bit. Um, but I, w- I would imagine like at some point you can take loss and I think you can find a way. And, and once again, I would I would even advocate the same thing. Like talk to people that can help you deal with grief. Um, to find how do you turn that memory, I would say, into something painful, into something inspirational. I see it in you um, since I've met you, starting the foundation, podcast, your speaking events. Like you, you have a mission now to spread the life of your brother, like the things he stood for, his sacrifice, his heroism, his patriotism. And you have a passion to, to have that message reach as many people as possible. And sometimes I'm sure it's painful, and I know it's hard. I know this is a tough week for the Forrester family, and I know it's going to be that way forever. Um, but you found a way. I don't know what you've done, but you found a way to, to take that loss and turn it into something good. How many kids have gotten help with college because of the foundation? Oh, yeah, it's a lot. It's probably... It's over 20. You know what I mean? That doesn't happen if you if you just stay in your own if you're in your own echo chamber of sadness. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen. Kids don't get to go to school. Kids don't get to learn about who Mark Forrester was and why Mark Forrester's helping them go to college. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um there's a way to do it. I think it's a longer road. For a family, it could be, and everyone's going to be different. I just, I honestly think it is. If you're struggling to to get there, reach out and find something to help, someone to help you get there. Whether it's uh, through your church, um, maybe a, a counselor or something mm-hmm. to help you. You know, I, I would goofingly, when I started to re- feel better about everything, refer to. Uh, to to the doc helping me as my my spirit walker just helping me walk around my own brain you know um someone to help you understand why you're feeling certain things because there's reasons for it there really is um and i can't give those to you you probably couldn't give them to me but there are people out there that can and and i think uh there's no shame in asking for help and uh i think when you can get to a point where you can take a loss of, of someone that was close to you and even though it'll always be painful, but turn it into something inspirational, then you've you've accomplished something very good for yourself and others around you. And what better way to memorialize that person, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. than than to have have the message of who they were as a human being in their life, like inspire and impact somebody else. Like, I, there's no better way for how many people now are so. Uh, inspired by mark they've never even knew who he was yeah we hear the stories all the time um where i'm at at this uh this academy i got to do memorial push-ups last week and i got to share mark's story a little bit with some people in the military who who who've never heard of mark and you know i think maybe like 20 people or so up to now bought his book you know over the last couple weeks because and asked me you know pull me aside and ask me questions about him and like that that right there i I, that's how you turn a loss in a, in a, into an inspiration, you know, because when you read Mark's book, you just realize what a what an ethical, honest, great human being he was, and then you mm-hmm. learn about him as a warrior and the things he did on the battlefield, and it's like it makes. You, and now we don't have him anymore, so who's going to fill those shoes? You know, I almost challenge people to read Mark's book and and try and live the type of life he lived. You know, not not saying you need to go to war, but the parts of the book where he that are about service to his family his community and others and his faith mm-hmm. like you know and that's where I think Gold Star families could get to I just don't know how every Gold Star family gets there you know You're, well one thing important about the book too is you know yeah you knew Mark one way I knew him another way I had no clue what it was like down the range mm-hmm. and my mission ever since he was killed was to find out everything I could about it 
about his time in the military, especially his time while he was deployed. So in the book, those who read it will know that it's not my word saying Mark did this and Mark was a bad A here and he, 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 you know, kicks some butt here. It's other people's words, mm-hmm. you know, that yours and others that were deployed with him because it wasn't my place to say what he did there. I wasn't there. Right. When, when there's plenty of people living that could, that could feel, just say those words. Yep. And, uh, you know, and everyone deals with loss and that's one thing I learned from this. Everyone deals with trauma in, in different ways. Um, but I would, I would say if I could tell anyone dealing with any kind of loss, it'd be to, to try and make it a goal. How do you turn this hurt, this loss, this utter devastation into something inspirational? The journey to get there might be different. The route you take could be different. But like, I think if you start to think, if, if you make that a goal, you can probably start working towards things more positively than, than down a negative path. Mm-hmm. And and that'd be my biggest piece of advice. I mean, that's just my opinion. Also, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not a medical professional at all. But that'd be it. well, what else, George? Anything else in closing? No, thank you for having me. Um, thank you for letting me share my story, and, and I honestly hope that someone hears this and, and it helps them out. Yeah, and please, if you like the podcast, please spread the word. I mean, that's really the best way to get it out there. Yeah, reviews are great, but really word of mouth is the best. And so if you would, just tell somebody about it. Patriot to the Core podcast, you know, patriottothecore.com. Um, yeah, a review would be great on iTunes. And also, if you like what we're doing, uh, please go to my Patreon page and see how you could you know consider helping support the cause. That's patreon.com forward slash patriot to the core. And thank you for listening. Thank you, George, for being here. Thanks it's for an honor, me. honor to have you in our home again, and we will see you in the next week or two. All right, cheers. <laughs>